Welcome to Safa Security Chat Chat, episode 104 for March the 12th, 2013. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and my guest this week is Paul Ducklin. Welcome back, Paul. Hello, Chester. It's good of you to be joining me. I'm, I'm uh, not going to talk about the weather this week at the request of one of the Chat Chat's loyal listeners. Chester, we are allowed to talk about where you've been, I believe, because you were at RSA in San Francisco, then B-Sides in Vancouver, and then Cansec West in Vancouver, which was also the conference that hosted Pwn to Own and Ponium 3, if I'm not wrong. Give us a one-sentence summary of each of those three events. What was the big theme, and what did, what did Chester learn? Well, RSA this year was all about big data. And, you know, there's two ways to look at big data, I suppose. Um, you and I in our skeptical hats often think about big data being a problem you have when you collect too much information from your customers. Um, but big data can also be extremely useful for um, security purposes, being able to look back at historical trends and being able to spot anomalies. And that was much of the buzz around the RSA conference this year was how can you leverage four years worth of that logging and information to better protect your organization or maybe detect that you've been compromised and when you were compromised and maybe what data was accessed. And I, I think it was kind of very topical considering the recent attacks at uh, Apple and Facebook and Microsoft and Twitter and all these types of things going, uh, you know, was customer data accessed, this kind of thing. So there was a lot of buzz about that at RSA. That's quite interesting, isn't it, Chester? Because everyone likes to come down on the antivirus industry, for want of a better term, saying, oh, you're all reactive, you have to see the threat, and then you work out how to detect it and its family, and you, you, know, you don't have any proactivity. Whereas, in fact, most anti-malware software is actually pretty proactive these days. Uh, and it seems that one of the things with big data is that it is inherently reactive. You're actually looking through stuff you collected in the past to work out what, what had happened. So it seems that we've kind of come full circle, that maybe people are starting to realize that there's room for proactivity, but since you can't catch everything, you also need to be able to react when, when that is absolutely necessary. So it's quite interesting to hear you describing it that way. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree, Paul. And, and it's, you know, it, I guess there's a maturity situation going on here as well in the security industry and in that the traditional antivirus companies were largely the beginning of the idea of a computer security industry, if you want to call it that. And now that we've all been around, uh, or most of us have been around for 25 years or more, we've become quite mature in our processes and how we go about approaching the security problem, whereas a lot of other parts of the industry that seem to be throwing rocks from their glass houses um, are starting to mature a little more as well, and it's kind of nice to see them join the party. It does sound as though, from what you've said, we're, we've kind of got past that set-and-forget mentality that we've had about, not just about security, but about all sorts of applications and data control and all of that stuff. It sounds as though we've got this more rounded idea today. So do you think that bodes well for the future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, there's room for all these different tools to play a role in security. And of course, we want, we want to simplify everything that we can and use the expertise of the vendors and the researchers and all the people out there. But I think there's an understanding that there is no end-all to be-all tool, and it's time we uh, grow up and face reality. Well, that was a long sentence by both of us about RSA, so I'm dying to know about, about uh, B-Sides and Cansec West as well. Yeah, B-Sides was fantastic this year, and it's the first time we've had a B-Sides here in Vancouver. And uh, we you know, had about 100 people uh, sign up to attend the event. I think we ended up with about 85 or so that actually showed up. 
which is pretty darn good. And we had a lot of fun. And, and what I really love about B-Sides and, and what certainly what happened here at the Vancouver event was it was local people sharing their knowledge with other people and, and learning from one another and socializing. And out of the event, I think new communities were created of people that goes, I didn't know there were other people like me here and this type of thing. So socially, B-Sides was a fantastic event. And the talks were uh, a lot of fun as well. It does go to show that you don't that you don't need a giant convention or conference to get value, doesn't it? You know, you've gone from one which had what twenty three thousand people turning up, twenty parallel streams or something, if I remember correctly from this year's literature, to a, a more boutique event that's really the the community working together. Yeah, absolutely, and that's you know, that's what B sides is all about. CanSec was a really good time this year. Um, you know, as you mentioned, the Pwn to Own event, the Ponium event. But more than that, it's about the talks at CanSec. And, you know, the quality of, of talks at CanSec every year is always uh, at a pretty high level. And this year, you know, it was as well. And, and I think a lot of the talk was around um, mobility. There was a lot of stuff about iPhones and Androids and what are we going to do to properly secure these ecosystems. And the murmurings from the industry, of course, is that uh, BYOD, which traditionally applied to iPads, your Androids, your Windows Mobiles, Windows Phone, all of that stuff, that the comparatively small devices has sort of become bring your own whatever it is you want. Oh, you like a Mac. You've got one of your own. Well, why don't you bring that? You'll be much more productive. So it's almost as though the lessons that we've been forced to learn uh, in how to deal with mobile devices in the workplace pretty much the lessons that we're going to need to apply to almost everything in the future. Well, and as we know, the, nothing is really uh, in, impenetrable. Uh, at the Pwn to Own contest, every single thing that was up to be attacked was attacked and was successful, I believe. One they... notable exception, Chester, which caused a bit of a chuckle on naked security when I wrote about it, and everyone wanted to know why Safari did not get pwned. And why is that? Did, did Vupin not try? Uh, no. <laughs> So it survived, technically it survived, but of course it survived because nobody tried to attack it. And what we don't know is whether it's just not cool enough uh, for the people who do this sort of attack. I heard a theory that everyone assumed that Charlie Miller would turn up and pwn it in two and a half seconds so they didn't bother. Uh, I heard theories saying, oh well, the prize was a bit lower, which is supposed to imply that it's easier to hack. And when it turned out not to be, maybe the guys gave up. We don't know. The point is, it did survive. However, Apple can't really dine out on that, because they probably will never be sure why. Yeah, I, I think my favorite moment was when George Hotz, uh, the famous uh, PlayStation hacker uh, at the event, uh, when he was interviewed about um, cracking Google's Chrome browser, said, uh, first, I had to break into the sandbox, and then I had to break out of it. <laughs> and I think that sums up the contest quite well. Well, it does show that it at least has doubled the complexity of the attack. Yeah, and a lot of these attacks were not trivial, um, although there wasn't any long chain of vulnerabilities similar to some of the things that I believe the guy's name was Pinky last year. Pinkie Pie. Um, demonstrated in the Ponium contest. But uh, certainly these are non-trivial things, and I think uh, to a degree... The vendors and uh, the hackers both win in these things to, uh, to the way that they're operated. I was sitting personally with the Mozilla team that um, works on Firefox security, and they knew they were going to you know, get owned as it's uh, known, but that they were very appreciative 
for the heads up and knowing when it was going to happen and when it was going to become public, the vulnerability, and they immediately put their team into action and rolled out. Uh, I, I got a minute-by-minute -minute update of how they were rolling out 19.0.2 version of Firefox to fix the, the vulnerabilities. And, and just like the Chrome team, you know, I think it was less than 12 hours um, for everybody to fix all of the vulnerabilities uh, presented at Pwn to Own. So that's, that's, um, that's a really good thing. It's a good sign, isn't it, that the, the good guys are now able to respond really, really quickly, and the bad guys, let's call them bad guys, I'm not implying they're bad, I just mean if they were crooks, uh, it's no longer a two-and-a-half-minute exercise, and it's very m even further away from movies like Sneakers than ever. So they're looking at weeks, months of hard work to find an exploit, but they can be patched really quickly. I suppose we have to bear in mind, Chester, that there is a certain synthetic element to Pwn to Own. Everyone knows the time that their browser is going to get attacked. They know that if someone's actually coming to the competition and has booked a slot and gets picked, they are probably going to own it. And so, you know, they've got all their ducks in a row, if I'm allowed to use that terminology, uh, for fixing the stuff. So it maybe is, a, as I say, a little synthetic, but it's still great to think that in the past, it seemed that vulnerabilities were ten a penny and fixing them took days, weeks, months, years. Um, and now at least Mozilla and Google have managed to turn that on its head, which is pretty good. One of my favorite comics, uh, XKCD, um, had a very uh, entertaining one that uh, was talking about how when people think their computer is infected with malware is usually when it has nothing at all to do with malware. And when they don't realize anything's happened, in fact, they are infected with malware. Is, is, do you think that's commonly the case? Is it, is it good to make a joke about it? Well, it's XKCD, I guess. Everyone knows it's satire, so XKCD is allowed to do it. Um, for those who haven't seen the cartoon, to try and describe it in a podcast, fortunately this case is quite simple. It's a Venn diagram, which are those circles that represent sets, showing the intersection of, you know, as you say, when it's malware and when people say it's malware, and of course it's two disjoint circles. There's just no intersection. So that's probably a bit extreme. I think people are getting smarter about spotting when things are wrong. And, you know, both individually and at a corporate level. And I suppose what you said earlier about big data at RSA going back through those vast amounts of logs and actually going, you know what, we were owned six months earlier than we thought. Gosh, that means our response must be different. That's suggesting that maybe we haven't quite got the two disjoint sets of the joke in XKCD. But the idea of blaming malware has been with us since viruses first became accepted as a reality. Blaming a virus, that's the sort of consumer version of blaming an advanced persistent threat if you're a corporation. Yeah, I guess they're the 21st century, the dog ate my homework excuse. <laughs> Very well put. Very well put, yes. And we need to get out of that way of thinking because firstly, excuses like that just sound like excuses. Um, and secondly, it's easily, easy to convince yourself that they might be true and then you spend ages looking for the wrong cause and looking for the wrong fix. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with everything moving to the cloud, um, I heard about the cPanel break-in. Um, cPanel is like a hosting virtual provider uh, control panel. Um, there was a break-in that compromised a whole ton of people's machines. So, you know, what's the story here? I mean, is this a reason that we should be thinking twice about, uh, you know, virtual hosts and providers and cloud services for the web? It certainly gave me uh, pause 
when I read that story because it wasn't just the usual, oh, cloud provider gets penetrated, database gets retrieved, credit card numbers leaked, or password hash is now available to be cracked offline. It seems that the way that this was implemented is that you kind of gave them your root passwords and they then went in and did the stuff for you and uh, it was all going to be good in the same way that when you, you, when you get to the valet parking, you hand over your keys and you assume that the guy will drive really slowly, really carefully, really accurately and park your car and not go hooning around the city all night in it or borrow it for, to provide a little taxi service for his chums. And it wasn't necessary. They fortunately quickly adapted the way that they provide this remote service of them being root on your box by using what you might call one-time or temporary key pairs. So instead of you telling them the root password and they log in, and then if someone else gets the root password, the other person can log in as well, there's some different way that the authentication is managed. So they generate a key pair that will let them into your, net, into your box for a while, and then they destroy that key pair at the end of the session, which means that even if someone gets hold of it later, it's not going to be any use. Well, that concludes Software Security Chat Chat 104. Thank you for joining me again, Paul. It's a great pleasure, Chester, and thanks for filling me in on uh, what sounds like an interesting time you had at your recent conference outings. Yes, both a blessing and a curse. I'm exhausted, but I had a fantastic time at the events. And uh, as always, all of our podcasts are available at podcasts.sophos.com. And for all the latest news, of course, we post everything that we learn about at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Until next time. Oh, Chester, I forgot one thing. What's that? As soon as you said nakedsecurity.sophos.com, tell us what happened at the Security Bloggers Awards at RSA. Ah, yes, the Security Bloggers Awards, we won for the second year in a row an award for being the best corporate security blog, which um, I'm not sure, hopefully it means we're the best at security from the corporate perspective and that we're not the most corporate uh, that claims to be in security. <laughs> I don't think so. The recognition from our peers is always um, the most important recognition we can get, really, I think. So uh, thank you to everyone who contributed. Thank you, chaps. Very rewarding for me sitting all those kilometers away to hear that we'd won that award. I was, uh, I was very proud. So that concludes Self-Security Chat Chat 104. And until next time, stay secure.